This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates across the biggest sports. Bet365's Bet Builder lets you create personalised bets and calculate the odds for any football match right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and thanks for joining us for another episode of Straight Outta Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. This is your one-stop shop for everything blues-based as The Athletic stable of Chelsea experts bring you up to date with all the latest from London's first, London's finest. On this week's Stack Show, we're basking in the glow of another win against Spurs, looking ahead to Bayern and Bournemouth, reflecting on an incredible game involving Chelsea's women's team and meeting another cult hero. All that to come on this edition of Straight Outta Cobham. Yes, hello again, listener. It's your old pal, Matt Davis-Adams here. Hope you had a good weekend and are ready for another busy week in the world of Chelsea Football Club. Seeing as we've got so much to get through, we better crack on, but not before I introduce my panel. A very warm welcome to Simon Johnson. Hello. To Dominic Fifield. Hello. And to Liam Toomey. I'm disappointed, Matt, because Dom came in all dressed up and we found out it was for another more important podcast. <laughs> no, you said it was black tie today, so I came in in black tie. Next week it's going to be shorts and a t-shirt. I didn't get the message, clearly. <laughs> uh, right, let's talk Tottenham. So Chelsea got back to winning ways on Saturday, beating Spurs by two goals to one at Stamford Bridge to make it Lampard three, Mourinho nil in terms of their managerial head-to-head record. A goal in each half from Olivier Giroud and Marcus Alonso, enough to see the Blues over the line here, despite Tony Rudiger turning the ball into his own net late on. Uh, Liam, you and I were at the bridge. Would you agree that 2-1 flattered Tottenham? Very much so. I mean, it, I, I really did think in the 89th minute when Rudiger managed to turn that Turn that was it. Eric Lamella's shot into his own net. I felt like it was the final realization that Chelsea will never keep a clean sheet again because Tottenham carried virtually no threat throughout that game. I think they had one move where Azpilicueta made a good block from Lucas, little one-touch play. But aside from that, they barely looked like mounting a meaningful attack. Chelsea controlled the game um, almost as well as they did in the away game against Spurs with that 3-4-3 system. Spurs tried to match up this time, but it actually looked like, whereas Chelsea had had been coached in that system and everyone knew their roles and knew their jobs, Spurs had just sort of arranged themselves in a similar shape and and thought that would be enough and it wasn't going to be. And and you saw particularly Alonso um, and Rhys James in the wide areas, I think, managed to pin Spurs back. And Olivier Giroud returned at a key moment for Chelsea and made... The decisive impact against the team, of course, that we know wanted him really badly in the final hours of the window. Mm, Dom, I can almost sense your smugness from the opposite side no. of the table. Though. Did, did you claim in the assist for no. this? You got your wish? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Yes. Um, no, it's, it's about time. It was about time. He was excellent. Um, that was a wonderful start in your piece this morning, Liam, about, was it 50? He, he had as many shots, shots on, on target. target in 71 minutes on the pitch, two as Michy Batshuayi's had in his 15 Premier League appearances this season. Now, 14 of those were from the bench, but, you know, it, 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 that's pretty telling, I think. But it, it didn't, it wasn't revelatory that 
Olivier Giroud can do a job for Chelsea and make them look a better team in, in the right system. It was just what we were saying last week that sometimes you have to be pragmatic, sometimes you have to adapt a system that gets the best out of the players that you just you know are available to you. And they did that, and they've got a World Cup winner who's a classy player, uh, and he looked a cut above at the weekend. And, and to be honest, on the back of that performance, it's very hard to to drop him. Well. Lampard was quite matter-of-fact after the game, saying, oh, if we need to adapt our system to, to Giroud's strengths, we'll adapt. Well, why has it taken three yeah. months? Why Could've did you ignore him? Yeah. You know, there were plenty of home games that played out against teams with as little attacking intent as Spurs showed that, that Chelsea could have really used Giroud and he wasn't even on the bench. Lampard didn't even give himself that choice. It's quite a finish as well. It was an awkward, yeah. awkward finish, awkward angle. Ball coming at him. Off, yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was classy. And look, the hope is that Europe continues to bring the best out of him like it did last season in the Europa League. I know it's a cut above. I know they're playing Bayern Munich, but there's a there's a chance there. And he, he'll want to go out on a high because he knows he's leaving in the summer anyway. So I think it's uh, it's perfectly common sense that he's playing and they've got a real asset there. Yeah. Well, one of the key things, though, that, that made Giroud work was having Mount and Barkley supporting him so well and, and getting sort of next to him, beyond him. Um, I thought those two, um, particularly Mason Mount, that's probably his best game since Spurs away, uh, has come under quite a lot of criticism on social media, as a lot of Chelsea players do, which has been quite surprising given he's one of Chelsea's academy boys, but I thought he was absolutely fantastic. And Barkley, I think that was his first first start for quite a few months in the Premier League. Um, guy that has certainly divided opinion at Chelsea, but I thought he played pretty well as well. It was very encouraging display all round. The question is, can Chelsea sort of maintain this form? Is it a one-off? Can they actually string a load of results together in the Premier League, which is what they need to do to, to get in the top four? Mm. So we, we've praised individual players. Last week we were lambasting lamps. Should we be fawning over Frank now? Because he he reacted to... Well, I'm not saying he reacted to the criticism and said, I'm going to pick the team that the critics want to pick. But, but he made those changes that people have been calling for, going to the back three. And it, the players were able to perform better because of the system, it seemed to me. Kovacic and Mount, particularly good examples of that. And Andreas Christensen, somebody who we've spoken about in the last few weeks, just looks so much better in the middle of a three than he does as a partner with Rudiger or another. Well, I think there's always with managers, you know, whether we criticise and praise them, it always depends on results a little bit. Um, you could argue, as we have argued before, that as we, we've already sort of discussed, you know, why, why is it taking this long for Giroud to play? But fair, fair, fair play, you know, he, he got his tactics spot on, and more importantly, he got the key players that have that have that impressed on Saturday. A lot of them were players that haven't played a lot, which takes some doing because they must have had their heads down quite a bit. Um, and in fact, for the second goal, they all the players that he brought back who he didn't play in the previous game all combined for the goal. Um, so he must be doing something right behind the scenes. But I think it's too early again to get too sort of sort of um, praiseworthy of Frank Lampard or anyone at Chelsea because, you know, lose lose the next game and we're back to square one and discussing tactics and team selection, etc. Mm, so what it does mean, Liam, is that there's four points between uh, Chelsea and fourth uh, and fifth place. We've had a tweet from Kem asking, what are the panel's end-of-season points total prediction for Chelsea? So 11 games left, 44 points on the board at the moment. Spurs got 71 finishing in fourth last year. Probably not going to take that many this time round. Yeah, I, I don't see Chelsea only dropping six points between <laughs> now and the end of the season. Um, so there's 33 available. Maybe they get another 20, I'd say. 
and uh, I know they're on track to be the lowest points tally for a for a fourth place team in in the Premier League. Is it in the Premier League era? I would guess so, at, yeah. at least, yeah, in quite a long time. Um, but you know, you 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 only can win the race you're in, and it's a pretty low quality race. So I think Chelsea have a, a difficult run of games, and this was a big step. But they've got more big tests coming in the in the next few weeks around this buy and tie. Lampard probably won't be able to rotate much, but at least now you've maybe found a system, well, re-found a system that the players feel comfortable with, a little bit more secure with. And if you've got now two choices for striker who can maybe lead the line properly, score and make the players around them better, then you've got you've got a better opportunity, particularly with Mourinho on the other side at Spurs saying he wants to fast forward to July 1st. It's difficult in terms of predictions, Don, because Chelsea is so consistently inconsistent. But I was thinking after the game, how significant is it going to be at the end of the season that they've taken six points from Spurs? But you could flip it and say, how significant is it going to be that they lost six points to Man United? It's it's really difficult to predict at this point. Yeah, and you could go the other way. They don't get a result against Bournemouth and they'll have dropped six points from them. Um, it's my my slight concern on the whole tactical switch is we've we've seen him play three four three in the Premier League. I think most notably Wolves away, it really really worked. And then he tried it in a home game a few days later. Valencia at, at Valencia, home was the next game, and it just didn't it didn't click at all. Now Valencia and Bayern Munich are very very different in level of opposition. So let's ignore the Bayern Munich game and just go straight to to the weekend fixture. Um, three at the back at the Vitality Stadium I mean Bournemouth should be there for the for the taking they want a poor one but they've had a very good record against against Chelsea in recent times really relatively speaking um, so it suddenly becomes a bit of a a test of character a test of his bravery as a, as a manager and does he does he does he trust the system down there um, I think that will be a lot more revealing in some ways more than a home game against Spurs where their season felt as if it was on the line. Let's let's fast forward to the weekend and you could argue that's going to be more indicative of where it's going to go. I think one other aspect to this which might make uh, a wing-back system more viable, at least in the short term, is that if Lampard continues to have most of his wing options injured, the good thing about 3-4-3 is you can do what you did against Tottenham and play two attacking midfielders like Mount and Barkley either side of the striker rather than genuine wingers and you get that width from wing-backs, particularly of the type of Alonso and James who are constantly looking to cross. So we'll we'll see what happens, but if Pulisic remains out, Hudson-Odoi, of course, didn't train against, ahead of Bayern. Uh, if Willian's your only fit winger, then this becomes a much more viable alternative. It's definitely the case that Alonso is more comfortable as a wing-back. I think it's definitely a case now that Azpilicueta is more comfortable as a left-sided central defender. Um, so right-sided, right-sided. Yeah. Well, wherever yeah. he could play either role, couldn't he? Yeah. That's the reality. Um, I thought he's when he's been playing left back of late, he looks a bit clunky. Um, it's almost like it's caught up with him a bit. I know he's had a well. The attack gets a bit clunky, exactly, doesn't it? Exactly. Going forward and checking back inside, it doesn't carry the same threat as a as a Reece James on the other side. So this this may be okay. There's, there you go. There's pragmatism. This might be the best system available to him with the current personnel. You know, when Kante comes back from injury. Um, and if he's fit and firing them, then maybe you can look at changing it again, switching again. But for now, this seems to be the best way. And there's no doubt that, that Christensen, probably mm-hmm. of all the formations that he's played in, there's no doubt that three at the back is where he seems the more relaxed, suits his game because he can get on the ball a bit more. 
Um, and of course, he's the latest of Chelsea's masked men brigade. <laughs> and, you know, perhaps he will be a superhero this season. <laughs> very good. Uh, I say very good. I mean, dreadful. Tottenham then was the second of three crunch home games in quick succession, which we felt would go some way to defining Chelsea's season. The final search match on Tuesday night as Bayern Munich visit the bridge. We'll look ahead to that after this. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com athletic and pay the postage of £4.95. And as if that wasn't enough, as a listener of the Athletic Podcast, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest craft breweries planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in just to top it all off. Just go to www.beer52.com athletic to get your free case. And don't forget, right now, the Athletic listeners get two extra free beers. So the familiar refrain of Tony Britton's adapted version of Handel's Zadok the Priest will be booming out of these Stamford Bridge speakers this week as Chelsea face Bayern Munich <laughs> in the first leg of the last 16 Champions League tie. Have you ever uh, translated the lyrics, by the way, to the Champions League music? Because it is the most underwhelming thing that you've ever heard in your life. And I am sort of filling now as I type in Champions yeah, League lyrics. It, it's basically we go again, the champions, it? here it is, the champions, <laughs> yeah. here they are, the champions. Yeah, that's They've arrived. But, it, but it's, still, it's still better than Europa League, which is just... Woo, woo. It's the main event, the champions, the main event, the champions, these are the champions, the champions, the main event, the champions, the main event, the champions, these are the champions. The champions. Suddenly, I'm with Manchester City fans. I'm <laughs> <laughs> hairs on the back of your neck. No reason they're booing. Lack of effort. I'm going to sing along next. Yeah, time. do do. Anyway, Bayern Munich, they're top of the Bundesliga, unbeaten in 2020, and scored seven at Spurs when they visited London in the group stage. That part of a record-breaking group stage campaign, which saw them win all six games, score 24 goals, and concede just five. Earlier, we caught up with the Athletics' Raphael Honigstein to see how Bayern's preparations for the game are going. Bayern made hard work of beating struggling Paderborn on Friday. Should Chelsea fans be encouraged by that or was it a one-off? Bayern's performance against Paderborn was very sloppy. It did reflect, however, Hansi Flick's attempt to mix things up. He gave a start to Odrio Zola, their new right-back on loan from Madrid. He played a sort of back three, which I don't think was really meant as a dress rehearsal for Chelsea, but rather uh, an experiment which didn't really work out that well. So all in all, it had the mood of a game that he felt Bayern could play with, if not their B team, then at least with sort of 80% of Endeavour. And of course, ultimately, that was enough. Um, and he was vindicated in his uh, slightly strange decisions as far as the starting lineup was concerned. Generally, though, Bayern have been pretty impressive since returning from the winter break. Are they in better form now than when they put seven past Spurs in the group stage? Uh, they're on an unbeaten run domestically. Uh, they've only drawn one game of the last nine against Leipzig, and that was a pretty good performance. So there is a sense in Munich that they're coming back to their best 
Uh, we've certainly seen some games where their position, uh, positional game, their possession game and their pressing game were um, so refined uh, that uh, some drew the comparisons with the Pep Guardiola era. Uh, certainly, even if you don't quite agree with that, there's certainly a sense that Bayern are moving in the right direction and are much more settled as a side. They're just a point clear of Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Is that the priority over the Champions League or are they of equal importance? As far as the Champions League is concerned, in comparison to the Bundesliga, the Champions League is definitely, definitely the priority for Bayern. They have won the Bundesliga seven times in a row. Of course, they want to win it again. They don't want to be deposed as champions by either Dortmund or Leipzig, but the Champions League is where this club uh, finds its glory, finds its real thrill, finds its validation, if you will. And that's why any any suggestion that they would somehow prioritise what happens domestically over the Champions League is, is really wide off the market. It's, it's very clearly the other way around. Obviously, Lewandowski, the star name. Who else in the team should Chelsea be wary of? As far as star players are concerned, I think Lewandowski is, of course, the obvious one. But uh, they have a lot of really good performance performance in in uh, recent weeks. I think uh, Alfonso Davis, the, the left back, uh, teenage Canadian, is, is a player that perhaps uh, not that many people will be familiar. But he's been absolutely outstanding in recent weeks. Also, Serge Gnabry, uh, who I'm sure you'll recall, uh, had a pretty good game in North London not long ago. Uh, has been very, very efficient, uh, scoring a lot of goals. In fact, if he doesn't score a goal when he starts, you think something is wrong. Uh, and even Thomas Müller has, has come back um, to a second spring, as Karl-Heinz Rummeninger, the chief executive, called it the other day. So all in all, a pretty decent package without too many injury problems. And certainly the assumption in Germany is that over two legs, Bayern should have, enough, should have enough to go through. Uh, basically, Liam, it's a daunting task for Chelsea. Brian and Etienne have both tweeted to ask whether Chelsea should stick with the same formation and personnel that started against Spurs. Yes is the answer to that, isn't it? I think it's quite difficult for Lampard to go away from it and to justify that to his players, never mind to the, to the fans, because I know Tottenham did score, but that did look like the closest Chelsea would get to a clean sheet in quite some time they did look pretty secure defensively for most of that game obviously we know that Bayern will come with far more attacking intent and far more attacking firepower than than Tottenham showed on Saturday but if you don't have that individual quality or individual confidence of defender then just going with numbers is not a bad plan b just trying to smother Bayern's attack and as as we alluded to earlier you know you have players like Alonso and I think Reese James who are maximised in wing back roles in a way that they maybe wouldn't quite be so much or they could get pinned back more easily as full backs so I, th- I think that system does work uh, Chelsea are heavy underdogs no matter how they line up against Bayern Munich because as Rafa I think alluded to they're, they're looking a lot stronger now and a lot more confident mm. So Chelsea are going to have to score at least one goal, you would assume, in this game. It's going to be very, very difficult, therefore, to get the balance between defence and attack right, isn't it? Because you can lose a Champions League tie in the first leg if you're at home almost more easily than you can win it. Yeah, and and we shouldn't... We we must remember where they are in terms of their transition and development as well. Knockout ties in in the Champions League are are new for quite a lot of these players. So they'll be learning on the hoof. Um... But all they can do is approach this with 
the excitement and thrill that this tie actually, I mean, it's a fantastic tie. They're up against one of the elite teams of European football. There's not a lot of expectation on them for once. Uh, if they if they manage to get a result this week um, to to go to Bavaria, um, you know, with with some hope still in the tie, then fan, know, brilliant, fantastic. That's that's all you can ask for. I, I worry a bit about the sort of the wide areas, particularly when you play the three. Um, you know, the, when you got people like Serge Nabry charging at you, you're about to tell me he's got a broken elbow now. Isn't <laughs> uh, but it's and Thomas Muller is obviously playing really well again uh, Lewandowski we all know the threat he carries but I mean that's that is the pedigree of player that Chelsea is up against this week but you know they'll be better for whatever happens in this tie in the long term I've already booked my flight and hotel just give me a tie that's still alive to go exactly. to Munich please well in many ways this tie reminds me a bit of Barcelona two years ago last 16 Chelsea clearly underdogs um, we're in a bit of a bad run of form, Barcelona. Everyone expected Barcelona to turn up and roll Chelsea over, and actually Chelsea put in one of their best performances of the season. Willian had one of his best games. I'd put, I'd bring Willian in uh, for Bayern. I think his pace can can trouble uh, Bayern, and perhaps that's why one of the reasons why why Frank didn't play him against Spurs was to keep him fresh for for Bayern. Of course, memories of that game, Chelsea bossed it one 0 didn't didn't take all their chances and then a mistake by Christensen led to, to Messi scoring his first goal against Chelsea. So it, it, that game in a nutshell sort of shows the kind of performance Chelsea have to put in. They have to be more clinical up front and not make the kind of sloppy mistake that was made that night. And then, of course, they, they still had a chance in that away leg in the, in the new camp, but um, it quickly went wrong, of course. So I, I just think if Chelsea can get any kind of lead, e- even a one-nil lead, that that definitely sort of will put the pressure on Bayern, who will of course have memories of 2012 in their minds of the last time Chelsea went there. Mm. Uh, good question here from Sean. I'll let you go first, Liam, which gives you a big advantage because I'm not going to let you all pick the same person. If you could take one Bayern player and put them in the Chelsea team, who would it be? Well, my first thought was Lewandowski because Chelsea need to be more ruthless. Um, but... I'm kind of torn between him and Neuer because I feel like Neuer's presence as much as his ability as a goalkeeper would really give a degree of calm and confidence to that defence that just hasn't really been there with Kepa or even with Caballero in the last few games. I think you know he's been okay, but no more than that. I'll probably go with Neuer because I think the defence is something that has been Chelsea's biggest problem because even when they have managed to score, they've always found ways to concede. Are you picking Lewandowski? Yeah, I will, I will do now. Although, I'd just like to say that <laughs> yeah, thanks, on Twitter, you said Michael Ballack to that, oh, yeah, <laughs> in response I, to that I, question. I'm very rarely serious on Twitter. <laughs> I bring my serious takes exclusively to this pod. <laughs> Simon, I can see you desperately drawing through the Bayern Munich squad. I'm, well, I, I did have a, a one, two, three. I'm going with Alaba. Okay. But, there, but then that's more kind of, well, given the, the, the few names that have gone already. Um, but given... Chelsea's left back issues and Alonso had a had a good game against Spurs but long term if you were to make a signing uh, you, you wouldn't go too far wrong with Alaba given that Chelsea's right back situation sorted they want a left back it's never going to happen of course but I'm going to keep him but if you were to sign someone that, that Chelsea needs a slot filling Alaba wouldn't be too bad as a left 
left back option who would bomb down that flank as well. Mm. Lastly, on this game, then it's it's going to tell us a lot about Frank Lampard's coaching ability, isn't it? Because we looked at the group stage and thought, wow, this is a really tricky group. They've done well to get out of it. Fast forward to last week, Valencia get battered by Atalanta, and Ajax lose two 0 at Getafe in the Europa League. So you look at it with through a slightly different lens, I suppose. This will tell us one way or another where he is. Yeah, but I always sort of think that there's the form in the group stage and then there's the form in the knockout. There's quite a lot of time between the group stage and the knockout round, so teams can sort of fluctuate in form in, in, in that. So I wouldn't sort of see that as a negative towards Ajax or, or Valencia. But yeah, I mean, look, this is, the, this is a real test for Lampard, make no mistake about it. Um, I think at the very least, what he wants to avoid... Is a drubbing like a like a Spurs in that home game? He, he'll he'll want a, a result over the two legs where even if Chelsea go out, there's there's a lot of signs of encouragement and a lot to build on. And of course, the last thing you want is any negative knock-on effects in the Premier League and the FA Cup. Of course, they've got Liverpool in the FA Cup coming up as well. So the last thing they want is to get an absolute hammering at the bridge. So put in a good performance and, and Lampard yeah we'll get credit but the players more importantly will we'll keep that confidence from the Spurs game yeah so the first leg Tuesday uh, this week tomorrow as we record maybe tonight as you're listening to this on the way to the game perhaps uh, the return leg takes place in Germany on the 18th of March okay we'll look ahead to the men's game against Bournemouth later in the show but next we'll reflect on an unbelievable afternoon for the women's team in Manchester so Emma Hayside went into Sunday's top of the table meeting with Manchester City knowing that if they avoided defeat they'd keep their title destiny in their own hands ahead of kickoff, they trailed City by a point in the table but have a game in hand now, I was lucky enough to commentate on this match six goals six different goal scorers missed penalty just over 12 minutes of stoppage time keeper subbed off uh, Liam you watched it try and, try and fill in in the blanks and, and do so in less than an hour if possible <laughs> <laughs> well Emma Hayes predicted ahead of kickoff that it would be a chess match and then after the match she said it was more like a basketball game I hate chess and I love basketball so <laughs> this was the game I actually enjoyed most this weekend I thought it was fantastic it really really ebbed and flowed both teams you could see you could see why both teams are where they are in the league so much attacking firepower um, Chelsea set up really attacking almost with a front four with uh, Wrighton on the left and Cuthbert on the right and Sam Kerr and Beth England in the middle. And um, yeah, both teams could have scored about 10 goals. They really That's not an exaggeration. And, and Ellie Roebuck got injured for City towards the end, but she made some really good saves. Um, and yeah, it became really, really stretched towards the end. There was no sense from either side, I thought, which was quite interesting that a draw might be a good result because it... it is really quite a good result for Chelsea away from home. They've never beaten City there and they've still got that game in hand to go top of the WSL, but they were really going for it and it was all capped off by another Beth England screamer. She's probably scored two of her best goals of the season in, in two of Chelsea's most high-profile games of the season. That one, the showcase game they had at Stamford Bridge and now this one. So I think they've done they've done really, really well. They've now got themselves to the brink of winning back the WSL title it's in their own hands and they've got the the firepower to do it it showed the depth of the squad didn't it because Sam Kerr can be forgiven for having a quiet game because she just got back from international duty with Australia but it didn't really matter that uh, essentially the world's greatest player was peripheral in the game they still managed to score three goals anyway yeah I mean that goes back to the amount of firepower they've got I, I 
it was my first time properly watching Gura Wrighton. I think she's a really good player, really classy on the ball. Um, and some of their combination play, they could have scored in the first 30 seconds, but England missed a massive chance. And England, with her range, can score anywhere with either foot from 25 yards. So they've they've got the ability to, to get it done against absolutely any team. And I think uh, they'll be... They should win the title now from here. And once they do, I think they can go back into the Champions League next season as real contenders for that trophy again. We mentioned, Don, with the men's team about taking points or losing points against teams around you. Chelsea have beaten Arsenal twice and taken four points from Man City in WSL. And, and that's so key in a league where the haves and have-nots have a big difference between them. So those three teams that I just mentioned do get great funding and support from their men's team. They're miles above everybody else. So if you can get the better of them in their heads, you're basically yeah, going to win the league if you don't make It's a mistake. mini league, isn't it? It's a mini league within the league. Um, we've seen it... We've seen it in the Premier League in the in the past in the men's game, um, you know, because you expect to to wallop the teams outside that little elite group. So there's more emphasis placed on on games like like this weekend's. Um, I was watching it on Twitter, and it you actually got a sense of the excitement on that because it was literally something new happening every second. It was uh, sensational. So no, I mean she's done a wonderful job, Emma Hayes, and and uh, you know long may it continue. And Chelsea are clearly a massive force in the women's game in as much as they've been in the men's game in recent years. It was just a great effort though, wasn't it, for the women's game? Um, Especially on a weekend where there was only one men's Premier League game on, which was after this one. Yeah, and, the, and there's no title race in, in, in the men's game in the Premier League. Um, you've got the two best teams going head-to-head. Um, goals are sharing goals are plenty and playing without any fear live on BT Sport so you know people actually got to watch it rather than sort of tuning in from somewhere else or, or sort of having to be there so it was not just sort of uh, accessible for those that were in attendance people at home could watch it and it was a proper proper contest yeah it's the start of a big week for the women's team they're taking part in their first ever league cup final this coming saturday that's the 29th of february they take on arsenal at the city ground if you want to support the girls tickets only a tenner for adults and a quid for concessions we will of course react to that game on next week's show uh, elsewhere in chelsea news no game for the men's under 23s this past weekend but on friday night the under 18s enjoyed a 4-0 win against brighton at cobham in the under 18 premier league south Ed brands boys only behind leaders full among goal difference so they have played a game more than the Whites. Uh, meanwhile, they will continue their FA Youth Cup campaign on Thursday of this week. They take on Millwall at Stamford Bridge. If you want to go along to that, you need to get your tickets before 4pm on the day of the game. They're £5 for adults, £3 for concessions. Or you can stream it live via the Chelsea app or website and I'll be commentating on that alongside Sam Parkin. Uh, OK, from the boys back to the big boys next as we head to the seaside. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and -and up-and-coming designers. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy, delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.co.uk 
forward slash athletic. Uh, a brief look ahead then to Saturday's game away at Bournemouth for the first team. Um, Simon, a, a match to forget for Chelsea and Maurizio Sarri in particular at the Vitality last term. Uh, Dom's already mentioned that Bournemouth have got a decent record against Chelsea, but another 4-0 humbling seems unlikely this time around. You would think so, but then you wouldn't have thought Bournemouth would have come to Stamford Bridge for Christmas and one either because they were on a bad run then too. So, yeah, they've won three of the last four meetings, Bournemouth. So I don't think Chelsea can take anything for granted. There's no uh, arrogance at all on this one. And, of course, we'll also sort of see what kind of mood Chelsea will be in um, following Tuesday night's performance, which could have an impact. But, yeah, I mean, on paper, Chelsea should win this. They need to win this. They need to back up what I was saying earlier on. They need to back up the Tottenham results. No good beating Spurs and then dropping points against Bournemouth because there are a number of teams um, chasing them um, for that fourth stroke, fifth spot. The key... Or a question mark will be how Nathan Aki plays, of course. Once again, we talk, We should talk about him and whether all the speculation about his future um, might be on his mind against his former club. Well, I mean, if Bournemouth go down, he's not staying there, is he, basically? Um, Definitely Dom, not. This stage of the season, would you rather be playing a Bournemouth team bereft of form and confidence but desperate for points or somebody like Everton who are mid-table and, and aren't going to go higher or lower than that? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we're probably a bit. It's probably a bit too soon to be talking like that because I mean Everton and the like. Virtually every team in that mid-table sort of bank of clubs can still aspire to a Europa League place potentially. And there are other particular cases like Ancelotti's obviously brought a bit of momentum to to Everton. Um, so I'd be tempted to go with the, sort of the, the more rudderless um, sides out there. That said, though, I'm not sure. Bournemouth, I know Bournemouth results have been pretty appalling of late. But you only had to watch their their game this weekend at, at Burnley. I mean, how that ended 3-0 when the, the, the two goals that, that Bournemouth were effectively denied um, were absolutely staggering. I mean, dreadful, dreadful, dreadful errors, in my opinion, by the VAR um, for that match. And, and so we shouldn't be kidded to think this is going to be a doddle. It won't be. They've got a lot of pace. They got Josh King back. Wilson's finally got Callum Wilson's finally got some form. Um, they will test Chelsea, Chelsea's back line, and it'll be interesting to see whether we see the same system, same personnel at the weekend um, after the Bayern game um, and after the Spurs matches. Two very intense occasions. So I think it will be it'll be a really really intriguing and a proper test of Chelsea's caliber. Do you think there might be a case for Chelsea and Bournemouth meeting up ahead of the game and mutually agreeing to suspend VAR just for the match? Because neither of them have clubs. Yeah, I was say that. another eighteen Premier League clubs well, who would probably take that if, if offered. I think no. I think both of them feel a, a particular sense of injustice from their last couple of games. Um, the other interesting thing I think about the the sort of Chelsea Bournemouth rivalry, as it were, is that Chelsea have generally last season aside done much better at Bournemouth than at home um, Bournemouth have generally set up very very well to cause them problems at Stamford Bridge and maybe when they've been a little bit more open and expansive at home Chelsea have been able to pick them off and and that maybe is the the route to success against again this weekend if, if, if Bournemouth do feel a little bit more of an obligation in front of their own fans to to take the game to Chelsea that that can give opportunities. These words may come back to bite me, as many of my words do, but um, 
I'm pretty confident there won't be an hour-long lock-in in the dressing room afterwards as there was last season. And uh, I had the joys of standing in the mix zone with Andy Dillon of the Sun. And we, we sort of had a lot of time to kill as we were waiting for anyone from Chelsea to rear their ugly head. And and every time the door, there's a door sort of which leads through to the tunnel. And uh, every time the door opened, we'd sort of get all you know, expectant, oh, is this someone we can talk to? And it would be someone from like a TV camera crew or something. And they'd be like, no, he's still in there. And we were sort of told that he'd kicked everybody out and so on and so forth. And it, yeah, it was, remember this was a midweek game as well. It was a night game. We were all looking at our watches. Sort of everyone had sort of had homes to go to. It was transfer deadline day as well, wasn't it? That was transfer deadline was it day. Cool, my memory doesn't go back. It was, far. that made it even wilder that that there was sort of no hint of comings <laughs> and goings and um Hudson Adoy had been dropped, if you remember. Mm, he was in, in the, the stands midst of wasn't all he? the Bayern yeah. Munich. He was brought there and kept in the stands by Sarri in what many assumed to be an act of revenge. And I don't I don't know how it felt for you in that corridor. I was in the press conference room and it genuinely felt at that point as if nothing was off the table. Like Sari could come in and just announce that he'd resigned or we could the news could just filter through that he'd been sacked or something. He'd put a cigarette out on Kepa's head or something. Yeah, like or there'd been like a mass brawl in the dressing room. In that moment, until he finally surfaced and gave what was in the circumstances actually quite a low-key press conference, uh, it, it did feel as if anything was really on the table and, and it felt like Chelsea's season was properly disintegrating it'll be a really good long read about Maurizio Sarri's season at Chelsea to come from um, from somebody from Rob in this Green. room in the uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe from <laughs> Rob Green yeah quite, quite. <laughs> well we'll see if the Blues can take a bite out of the cherries this Saturday three o'clock UK time the kickoff for that one uh, we're into stoppage time on this week's show which means it's time to reveal our latest cult hero so we're buying on the brain. We've chosen Michael Ballack as this week's court hero. The German joined Chelsea from the men from Munich in 2006. He stayed for four years, made 168 appearances, scored 25 goals. He won the Premier League, two FA Cups and the League Cup. Uh, a key player pretty much from the off, scoring late winners in the Champions League quarterfinal against Porto and the FA Cup semi against Blackburn. Um, good start to his first season then, but the second season not so much fun. 2008, his Anas Haribles lost the League Cup and Champions League finals, finished second in the Premier League and captained the Germany team that lost the final of Euro 2008 to Spain. Uh, Dom, is that the worst end to a season for any footballer No, it's ever? not even his worst. <laughs> Go back to 2002. Oh, he lost the World he Cup final the, as well? He lost with Bayer Leverkusen, lost the league. I think they finished second. He lost the German Cup final, lost the Champions League final to Real Madrid and then lost the World Cup final, <laughs> which he'd started all the way up to the World Cup final. Then did, was suspended, suspended for the final he got he got a second booking not even his worst year (laughs) (laughs) didn't he lose more finals than any other player or at least he held that record for a long time I don't know whether he still does well he never won the Champions League did he that that was always a a big gripe with him and a sense of deflation but he was such a he had such a presence on the pitch even when he came to Chelsea it was a bit how do we fit him in here but but when you saw sort of at his best he just looked like the type of player with so much authority and he sort of fitted in with the mould of of Chelsea at that time, the, the Drogba's and the Czechs and the Lampard's and Terry's, he was just a natural, he just settled into that little group and was a key performer. But it almost felt like he arrived He arrived in the same summer as Shevchenko and that was very much the, the transfer window of sort of glorious vanity for Chelsea because they already had the best team in the league and I think they signed two players who were obviously two of the biggest names and biggest reputations in Europe but names 
that didn't really fit into the team. You know, if you couldn't pick a midfielder in Europe that was more similar to Frank Lampard than Michael Ballack. And trying to fit them into the same midfield, I think, caused the series of managers quite a few problems. Ancelotti did the best job of it with the with the kind of midfield diamond in 09-10 that managed to unleash both of them. And, and Chelsea as a team had a, a brilliant season. Um, but his... His his career as a whole, I think, at Chelsea was undermined by that because he could never be fully himself with Lampard there as well. And he was kind of punctuated more by moments, as you said, those winning goals in the cup. I also remember he had a big game against Manchester United when Lampard didn't play in the title run-in where he scored a header and a penalty at Stamford Bridge. Um, but it was all more moments than, than consistent production, which I think is a shame when you consider how talented a player he was. Mm. So that leads me, Simon, to, to my next question. Was his Chelsea career a success? I think overall, yes. Um, perhaps people will argue in terms of level of expectation um, because there was so much excitement about his signing, uh, much like Shevchenko's, but it was cert- he certainly made more of an impact than, than Shevchenko did. Um, arguably, his best season was the, the, the half season that was 2007-8 um, because he, he didn't get fit until, I think it was December, um, and then, but the second half of the season, he was very much the catalyst for Chelsea's surge back up the table to challenge Man United. Um, but I just remember Michael Ballack. There's two things particularly I remember about Michael Ballack. Forget the goals and all that. Not wanting to buy a house in London because it was too expensive. Well, <laughs> the, he made many good runs in a Chelsea shirt, but none better than the one when he chased off Robo against Barcelona, <laughs> which has become a comical meme. But I mean, it was it kind of. There's many things that people remember about that night, Drogba with his flip-flops, etc. But perhaps arguably the thing that summed up Chelsea's frustration the most was Balak sort of running uh, with a very bro. It's very funny. But he also, the same night, came out, did the mix zone. And it's a side that fans don't get to see, is there are players that like talking to the press and there are others that, that try and sort of get away with it and Balak on a number of occasions would not only sort of speak to a few journalists he'd go down the line from broadcast to print and and it, it does make a big difference and, and his opinion he would actually give a measured opinion about what had just transpired which is not something every footballer is blessed with mm. Have you got a favourite Balak memory? I, I was with Liam beforehand looking back I remember interviewing him in 2015 on a some rooftop bar um, in London and he was talking about, I think it was a sponsor. Event. I'm imagining you in an outfit similar to the one yeah, you're wearing now. Too. Cosmo Proper in one hand, Mike in the <laughs> other. Dicky Bow, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he, but he was talking. That was very much about the Champions League um, and his sense of disappointment. And that really, I mean, that was in 2015. So it was still the pain was very much still evident. But I, I, I just did a Google search, and apparently I interviewed in in 2009 as well, or maybe 2010. I can't remember. It was it was when things were going very very well under Ancelotti, uh, so it would have been 2010, early 2010, and um, yeah, and and, and I, he was just a cog in a such a wonderful attacking Chelsea team that season. Um, but even off the pitch, he just had that presence, he had the presence about the authority. You knew you were in the in the presence of. Of a of a great, even if he, even if Chelsea didn't see the the best of him, arguably Bayern Munich probably did uh, more than Leverkusen even, but he had something about him. There was also a rumor because he was a free transfer signing. Obviously, he was in he was in position. Now we see this a lot with free agents where they can 
name their price basically for a contract. He got a very lucrative contract because Chelsea didn't have to pay for him. And there was a rumour which I wasn't able to verify because I wasn't covering Chelsea at the time. Maybe you two can. That he had a clause in his contract which stipulated that he would be paid in either pounds or euros depending on which currency was stronger at that point in time. Which I think is absolutely sensational if that's true. (laughs) Yeah, I hope so. If you know if it is, by the way, um, do tweet us and let us know. Uh, That's just about it for this week. Before we go, though, Liam, what are you writing about this week? So the joint read with myself and Simon Johnson this week, we're going to be looking at Christian Pulisic, sort of what's going on with him injury-wise and his first season in England and at Chelsea. Um, I will also be going to the FA Youth Cup tie, Chelsea-Millwall, later this week. I don't know if I'll have to declare myself at the local police station before (laughs) I go to that. I'm not sure what sort of security... uh, provisions will be in place and obviously then leading up into into the Bournemouth game and also the the fallout to whatever happens against Bayern Simon you'll be looking at, at Pulisic then it's something people uh, have mentioned getting in touch with the show have we got any idea when he's due to be back it's being kept a very closely guarded secret no I mean Frank is sort of he, initially it was not that serious and it was sort of an impression of a few weeks but now now he seems to be a lot more vague um, about when he returns, which um, is a big blow for for Chelsea, big blow for Lampard, but particularly for him, because this is his first season. It's been a bit stop start. He had he had quite a nice run of form in autumn, but that, that's becoming a distant memory. And you can imagine him sitting there thinking, well, "Zayek's coming in next season. I, I want to be making an impression now." Um, and of course, you don't want to be missing games like this one against Bayern Munich. So, no, that's something we're going to obviously me and Liam are going to try and explore is is just how bad this is because um, Chelsea need him right now. What's on uh, your agenda, Dom? We've got a another joint read actually going out um, on the a, a reflection of of 2012 ahead of the the Bayern game, um, which hopefully will be fun for Chelsea re- uh, fans to to read. Lots of lovely memories, lots of um, quotes from the players at the time um, so that should be fun but uh, beyond that I, I I will be writing on Chelsea at some point this week um, I'll see what happens on uh, Tuesday night before determining what that's going to be about Sounds good do join us same time same place next week and remember you can get an ad free version of the show by listening via the Athletic app until next time from Dom, Simon, Liam and myself it's bye for now <laughs>